Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. On the Record with White House Correspondent April Ryan. This is the latest installment of On the Record with April Ryan, and we got a lot to talk about. The midterm elections have come and gone. There's still some races up in the air, and I am pleased to kind of lay the land out (laughs) with... um, NAACP stalwart, the head of the NAACP in North Carolina, uh, the state chapter, uh, Reverend Barber. Reverend Barber, thank you so much for joining me with On the Record with April Ryan. Well, thank you so much. And just as a note, you know, I was there. I was. I'm now on the board. That's right. You are on the board, the national board of the NAACP. You came to my hometown a couple of weekends ago. Where's that? Baltimore. I sure did. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> That's right. And I'm now co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign and doing the and 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 the president of Repairs of the Breach. Um, you know, two days before the election, um, right, uh, April, I did a five-state tour from Kentucky all the way to Mississippi, Georgia, uh, Florida, and back in North Carolina. And I tell you, we we have to be real careful in this post uh, reflection not to follow. Uh, the Trump um, um, uh, interpretation. I think the day even when he fired just sessions today is one of the reasons he doesn't want us to really see uh, what is ha- what happened in that election and what it foretells. What it foretells. Hmm. Well, what does it? What is the? What is the? Um, the shadowing of things to come from this from this election then. Well, let me give you a couple, two, three examples. In North Carolina, we fought for six years against racist gerrymandering. Won both of the two cases, even with the Roberts courts, we won. Uh, the gerrymandering, we did not deal with this time. The courts ruled, but they said it was too late. They can do it the next time, uh, which is going to radically change our representation of the U.S. Congress and the General Assembly. But even without it, uh, yesterday in North Carolina, uh, the voters broke the uh, General Assembly, the Republicans' uh, veto-proof majority. That's significant in North Carolina. Uh, they also uh, rejected changes that the uh, uh, Republicans wanted so that they could control the courts more and control the boards of elections. In addition to that, we had a woman... Uh, African-American woman elevated to uh, justice on the North Carolina Supreme Court in the South. So that's now we have we have three African-Americans on the Supreme Court in North Carolina. And for years, I mean, as recent as a few years ago, we, we only had one. So that says that that these states, one of the things it says to me is that when the people can vote and when there's not voter suppression, we can see dramatic change. We saw, we're still counting in Georgia. Uh, we have the situation with our brother Gillum in Florida and then the brother in Texas. But people need to look at what we are seeing with these elections, the power of the votes, the millions of people that voted for these for candidates who 
millions of votes, and it's so close that they can't be called. Four or five years ago, that would not have been possible in the South. Uh, you know, there, there would have been large percentage of, of, of losing. So it's showing that the solid South is breaking wide open, uh, that, that these states are no longer red states, but more unorganized states. And I would say to progressive Democrats, we need to start right now doing movement and organizing and mobilizing. We can't wait to just the year of the election because there's a new electorate in town all over the South, new demographics in town. And if we can run candidates that can connect poor whites, poor blacks, poor Latinos, talk about things like health care, speak against racism and division, we are on the verge of seeing, a, I think, a third reconstruction in this country in the South, and that's going to be major. Well, the third thing is all of the women that were elected and the diversity of the House. I mean, you had people who ran as Democratic Socialist and won. They ran as lesbian and won. They ran African-American and won. Uh, they ran, you know, talking about universal health care. Uh, they ran calling out racism. You have a, a Native American one. You, you know, these, this is serious, serious transformation that we're seeing. Uh, and, and then in the governor's races, the pickups that happened in Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Chris Cobalt, who ran all this voter fraud, fraud thing, Kansas rejected him. The breadbasket said, no, we don't want this. And so I think we have to look at all of this Secondly, we have to look at all of this happened with 49% of voters still not voting. What if we could get to 55% of voters voting or 60%? What could that do in this nation? That has to be our goal as we move forward, I believe. So in looking back um, over Election Day, midterm elections, President Trump said he had victories. But I'm not, I, I see where he wants to believe that he has victories, but I also see that the Democrats have really done something. Um, and, and I see where the president feels that he has a victory. And the way that I see that he has a victory is that he kept the Senate. So that if impeachment does happen, he's not convicted, meaning removed. So that, in that note, I think it's good for him. And also for judgeships and everything going down the line there. But when it comes to getting things done in these next two years, uh, it looks like Democrats in the House are going to try to do checks and balances, which have been missing over the last two years. What are your thoughts about the wins and the losses? Who are the winners and who are the losers? Well, I think that's where he lost, where, where Democrats lost these um, Senate seats. Uh, those are in states, again, we call red. But we have to really look at what kind of work was done movement-wise and building-wise um, for those losses to happen. I don't think that they're purely attributable to, to, to Trump. Um, um, I contend, and I did an article that I that I that what we are really witnessing is not the Democrats did, but what all these movements have done to to dig deep and pull people back into the electorate, the Women's March, the Black Lives Matter, Poor People's Campaign, uh, the, the young people, you know, standing against guns who did their bus tour. Uh, we're, t we're looking at the emerging of a new electorate uh, that has the potential to be as powerful in, in the years to come as what happened in 1868, uh, 66, 67, right after the, um, the Civil War, which caused Reconstruction. Uh, 
the other thing is I think that the, the things he planned to do with, with taking away pre-existing uh, uh, coverage for pre-existing condition, he can't do that now. You know, he can't pass uh, uh, any kind of new tax bill that he was talking about. That, that won't happen now. So really, he didn't win in that sense because he has to deal now with the House of Representatives that's not just a one- or two-vote margin, but a major margin and a diverse margin, and in some ways a very radical margin, and I mean radical in the best sense of the word. You know, the sister, for instance, won in Massachusetts is not going to that Congress to play with him. Lucy McBarrett, who won in the South, who won in New Gingers' old district, I think if, if, if they call that race, She's not not going to play with him. Uh, the guy that ran, ran in South Carolina, white guy who ran in, uh, won in um, uh, the former governor's old district when he was governor, then he ran for the Congress. I mean, we're, we're seeing, <laughs> you know, some, some, some things happen here. Uh, we've got the census coming up and all these new governors now who are Democratic. So I think that the movement is not just the party is done. But it's what this fervor and movement and activism has done and will continue to do. And if he thinks this is a victory, I think he's sadly mistaken, which is why I believe he was so animated today at the press conference. Uh, because he knows that his, uh, you know, that, uh, his legs are being cut from under him. And I think he's going to be more irrational. I think he's going to make a lot of mistakes because he can't handle pressure. He can't handle criticism. Uh, and and he's in a totally different political world right now, with based on what happened on um, uh, on Tuesday. So let's talk about Tuesday, and let's talk about issues of voter irregularities, voter suppression. Um, there were a lot of uh, videos and a lot of uh, complaints um, about voter suppression uh, happening in Georgia. And then we heard some things about Florida. Um, we heard some things about Florida, what happened in Florida. North Carolina. Oh, and then North Carolina. Okay. Weren't, being able, weren't going through the machine, and, and some places they didn't have electricity correct. Uh, um, um, yeah, I, I think April, and, and, and that's why I, now what I say to the Democrats in the House is now that you have power, uh, you better use it. Uh, right up front, they should they should pass a bill to restore the Voting Rights Act and to push for, for other bills. They can't play with that. They can't now get power and then start, um, uh, uh, you know, act, uh, uh, stepping back. Um, uh, we have to deal with this issue of voter suppression in this country, and it needs to be dealt with up front. We have been without the Voting Rights Act and pre-clearance protection for more than five years. Article that 5. Be, no, that's right. Uh, that ought to be right on the center. I wish that Nancy Pelosi, when she was listing the things, for drug prescription, whatnot, had it listed right up front. We're going to have special hearings on voter suppression. We're going to pass a bill restoring the Voting Rights Act Section 5 so that states have to get pre-clearance before they can do these things. Um, um, uh, we, we're going to, to, to do a full-scale review of where we are and, and, and pass legislation to put everything in place that's necessary from money to technology. Whether the Senate goes along with it or not, they need to put that up front. 
democracy continue to have this kind of questioning about our elections. Uh, I think that's why Sister Abram is so adamant because of all of the, the suppression that took place in Georgia and the man who's running for governor was also over <laughs> the Secretary of State and over the process. So Democrats would do themselves a disservice, I believe, if they don't take on this issue up front. Democrats would do themselves a disservice if they don't start talking to the 140 million poor people in this country. Uh, Democrats would do themselves a disservice if they don't deal straight up with systemic racism and systemic poverty and not see dealing with those issues as kind of the far left as opposed to the moral center. They must grab the moral center and must deal with these issues up front. Governors who have won in these states, who are Democrats, have to deal with uh, voter suppression. And more, and even more important than the elected officials, the movement, whether it's the NAACP or all of us who are working in this work, we must address this voter suppression and continue to push and push and push against it and demand that the politicians, particularly out of the Congress, uh, a, a vote on the kinds of legislation that would help remedy the problem. But right up front, Democrats ought to say on their number one, on their list of five top five things they're going to deal with, it should be voter suppression and full restoration of the Voting Rights Act. Maryland Congressman Elijah Cummings, uh, who is poised to be the new head of government oversight and reform in the House, says that he will uh, tackle the issues of voting rights. Uh, what say you about that, particularly as you're talking about North Carolina, Texas, um, Florida, Georgia, and, and, and let's not forget North Dakota. That's right. North Dakota, Native America. Um, um, here's the truth, that as I see it. Every, since 2010, 26 states have passed voter suppression laws. This was before Donald Trump was ever on a ticket. So let's stop talking about him for a minute and talk about this issue. And we know voter suppression, what it has done. We guess what Russia has done. We know what voter suppression has done. We know that those 26 states represent 52 Senate Senate seats and over 54% of all African-American voters. We know that in those same states that have done voter suppression, they're the same states that also denied Medicaid expansion, same states that have some of the most, the worst immigration laws, the, the highest need for living wages, and the, and, the, and the highest need for people to be insured, uh, and some of the worst policies against women and, and the LGBT community. So the fact of the matter is voter suppression allows persons to get elected who are white, and when they get elected, they end up passing legislation and policy that hurts mostly white people. That's the irony of it. We have to connect it. It's not just the black issue. It's a democracy issue. It's a justice issue. And and, and, and talk, but talking about doing it, and Elijah's my good friend, I'm going to give him a call as well, has to begin with the leader of the Democratic in the House saying that restoration of the Voting Rights Act is a top priority fighting to have early voting and same-day registration and, uh, in every state is a top priority. But the VRA must be at the top because without the VRA since 2013, you know, these states have passed these laws. The laws go into effect without preclearance, 
And sometimes people get elected with racialized voter suppression, so you end up having unconstitutionally constituted legislature. That, and the laws are not overturned until much later. Or, like in North Carolina just yesterday, they put on the ballot uh, a photo ID law to be put in the Constitution. The same photo ID law that the courts already said was racist. They had it voted on, and it was, sad to say, it was in our state. If the VRA was in place, even if it was like that and was put in the Constitution, it could go into effect without preclearance. So I'm saying to all of the Democrats, particularly those in the House, the Pelosi and all of them, not just the committee, they need to say up front, some things are on our top five list. You know, voting rights, Full restoration of Voting Rights Act, uh, living wages, expanding health care. These are the kind of bread and butter issues that people need to hear that they're going to fight for now that they have power without wavering, without any wavering. They cannot waver. When you're dealing with a Trump and you're dealing with people that we see like McConnell, you cannot waver. You cannot flinch. You must be clear. Reverend Dr. William Barber, I so appreciate you. Thank you so much. And I guess um, we are now out of, well, somewhat out of the midterm elections. We're still trying to wait and see what happens with some of the races. But this is now beginning the next election cycle, the campaigning for the next election, presidential election 2020. That's right. And we are the Poor People's Campaign, National Call for All Revive, my co-chair, and repair us. We are already we already have dates now. We're going out canvassing, registering people for the movement who will vote. Uh, we're not stopping. We have to start now. And I would say to progressives and to Democrats, if you're serious, if you're serious about this country, we need to invest heavily uh, in the South and organize. And we cannot wait till two twenty, January two twenty. We have to do massive voter education, voter registration, even now. And we have to be clear about running in every state and stop saying that these states, particularly in the South, are red states. It has been proven in this election that if you run candidates who run as true progressives, who speak to poor and low-wealth people of every different race, creed, color, and sexuality, and if they have the backing and if they have the resources and if you have movements in those communities that are organizing all year long, not just elections year, these states are not red states, they're unorganized states. And if you organize and fight, we can win. We can win. These are, this is not an anomaly. And, and if you're willing to run people like Gillum and like Abrams and, and others at the top of the ticket, uh, we can win in the South. And if you change three to four Southern states, the entire political calculus in this country has been shifted. Reverend Barber, thank you so much for your insights. And thank you for giving us a little insight into the Poor People's Campaign, what's happening with the NAACP as it relates to voting, and every organization that you touch. We thank you so much for joining uh, On the Record with April Ryan. Thank you, Reverend Barber. Thank you. God bless. With this week's On the Record, I'm AURN White House correspondent April Ryan. Don't forget to subscribe to On the Record on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review. On the Record, a product of American Urban Radio Networks.